believe you're the savior of our soul. We believe you are God and in control. Welcome to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Bram, a ministry of Worship Generation Church located in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, please visit us at www.worshipgeneration.com. We believe in the power of the gospel. We believe you can transform every soul. We believe you're the Savior. Now let's join Pastor Joey as we study through the Bible. Let the nations be glad, all his saints rejoice. Matthew chapter 1, and again, Merry Christmas, Worship Generation 2021. Glad you made it out tonight. And now we're going to be looking at the Christmas message, the Christmas story and message through the eyes of Matthew. And so we get this record here where it says, But while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary to you, Mary, your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, that is the prophet Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be a child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took to him his wife, and did not know her, that is, intimately, So she had brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. So we have the virgin birth prophesied some 800 years before through the prophet Isaiah. And what an amazing prophecy that is. What an unusual prophecy that is. And we see certain things that are profoundly, you know, it's God's intervention. And for example, you get different signs. Like when Jesus stilled the water on, on the Sea of Galilee, and he said, you know, commanded the wind and the, the waves to stop. You might have been there, and, you know, if you've ever been surfing, sometimes the wind will just stop. Like the atmospheric change, you get a dead, all of a sudden it goes dead wind. Or you can be out in the water and the wind switches offshore, and the conditions change tremendously immediately. So even that as a sign, you say, like, well, you know, was that the Lord? Did he do that? Or was it just like good luck that he just happened to say that and it went that way? But obviously, these are all miraculous things that God did in the Old Testament. But of all the signs that you can give, the virgin birth, the virgin birth. I saw a full term, certainly a third trimester woman at Albertsons yesterday, and she's carrying a child. Hundreds of thousands of child, children will be born today on planet Earth, even as hundreds of thousands of people will step into eternity. From the dawn of creation, when Adam and, conceived, Adam and Eve came together intimately and had their first son. And the sinful nature that they had passed on him was passed on him in his DNA. Every single human being conceived in the womb as a single cell, and that cell multiplying with the unique DNA of who they are, every human being in human history is a sinner. And they have the sin nature. And that's why the New Testament writers and preachers proclaimed, in Adam all sin and die, and death entered through Adam, thus all die. But they also tell us in Galatians and Romans and in the general gospel message that where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. And Jesus, born of the virgin, is the second Adam, not with a sinful nature. 
because of the Immaculate Conception. Jesus' father is not Adam. The father of Jesus is Abba, Father, Jehovah. And he's one with the father. Thus you'd say, he that has seen me has seen the father. So the virgin birth is, it's just, it's just hard to wrap a mind around it because one of the things of coming of age is when you understand where babies come from. Right? You parents with older kids, that's how we get babies. But not this baby, not this child, not the child called Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because the Son of God, though he's called the Son of Man because he took on the form of man, he does not have the sin nature of man. Thus, the virgin birth is a critical theological truth of the person and the work of Jesus Christ. For if Jesus is just a good man born of regular men and not the conception of the Holy Spirit and the Immaculate Conception, which is a mystery of itself, then he's a sinner like us. When he died on the cross, he died for his sins, just like the thieves that surrounded him on the cross. But that's not the case. Jesus is God, and Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life. We're told that God made him who knew no sin, his son, to become sin for us, that we could become the righteous of God. And the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all, but he has no sin. And that's why the virgin birth is the very core essence, the very beginning of the gospel message in the gospel of Matthew here is that we have to establish that Jesus' dad is not Joseph. No. He's of the Davidic line that was promised a thousand years prior by God to David, the King David. Joseph is of the house of David, but Joseph's not his dad. There's no biological connection. The messianic promise by the house of Judah, by the house of Abraham, it runs through Mary, the virgin, and comes to fruition with the Immaculate Conception. So, of course, when we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're not celebrating the birth of other children that are beautiful and wonderful, but they're all sinners. We're all sinners. This is the glory of the Christmas story. That that which is conceived of her is of the Holy Spirit. The angel declared it to her, and she said, how can this be so? And he said, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, this is Luke's account now, you will conceive. So you admire Joseph because Joseph obviously was very much in love with this woman, probably a teenager. He probably loved her from early on. And you imagine how stunned he was when he found out that his wife was, wife-to-be was pregnant. And yet his response is to not embarrass her. He loved her so unconditionally. We see the beauty of his life summarized in that verse, that he was a just and upright man. And yet he waited on the Lord, and then the Lord revealed to him in the dream what was going on. And he believed. Mary said, let it be unto me, the maidservant of the Lord, as thou hast spoken. But Joseph just had, so Mary believed, but then it happened. Joseph had to believe the revelation in a dream that it happened. And he did. So, The prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. A prophecy that for 700 years, theologians would have scratched their head at saying, whatever does this mean? Because it had no precedent. A woman being buried and having a child, that has precedent. Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Hannah, Manoah's wife, Samson's mom. (laughs) But a virgin having a baby? Well, in this universe of trillions of galaxies, God of the universe spoke it. And 
in his triune nature, Father, Son, and Spirit, he brought it to pass. Emmanuel, God with us. It's the foundation of the entire Christmas story. Jesus is no religion of men, but Jesus is God. Manifest in the flesh. Emmanuel. Now the story continues in chapter 2 from Matthew's account. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And when he gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, quoting the prophet Micah now of the Old Testament, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child, and when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary the, and his mother and fell down and worshiped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And then being divinely warmed in a dream, they should not return to Herod. They departed for their own country another way. So here now, our attention shifts from the Immaculate Conception and the virgin birth to the kings of the east, the the wise men from the east, the King Herod, the great, and the city of Bethlehem. I've been to Israel. It was a long time ago, but I went to Israel, and I went to Bethlehem. I've traveled the world. And I can tell you, Bethlehem is not somewhere you're going to book to go. It is very insignificant. There's really nothing to it. Just as Joseph and Mary seem to be insignificant teenagers, from an insignificant look down upon village called Nazareth, where you would be mocked for your accent when you went to Jerusalem. Now here in this insignificant village of Bethlehem, God had prophesied that the king of kings, the greatest of all kings, would come out of this insignificant village, this, this town. When, you know, when you drive across the United States, and I've done it many times, particularly if you take the 10. So once you go from, get past El Paso and you're going east, it's a long haul to Fort Stockton, and then you get like Ozona, and you get towards San Antonio. It's a long haul. It's just so... There's all these little towns that are so insignificant. They're just a truck stop station and a Chevron or whatever. They're just so insignificant. God himself said through Micah the prophet that you, O Bethlehem, he said that you're, you're not the least among the rulers of Judah. Like it's just, it's just a place where like what could ever come out of there? So we have an insignificant couple in poverty from a community that would be made fun of years later. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And then you have an insignificant village in the south where this couple's forced to go to have the baby because of a mandate from Caesar Augustus. 
because that's what Caesar does. If Caesar says, move and be counted, you move and be counted. So that's what they did. And suddenly this insignificant village that's, that's been prophesied hundreds of years, twice as long as we've been a nation prior to this very moment when this insignificant couple shows up in this insignificant village to give birth in an insignificant place in a barn and a feeding trough. That's how the king of kings The king of the Jews, Jesus, came into the world. Isn't that just amazing when you really think about it? Now, if you're having a child or you're thinking about you're young and you're a millennial and you're getting married, you want really good health care. You're going to vote for health care every time because health care is super expensive. And you want really good OBGYNs. And you want to deliver, well, some people want to do a home birth, so make sure you have a really good midwife, right, or different terms for it now, a doula, whatever. You want the best. You want the best. How helpless is it to be a teenager giving birth to a child through immaculate conception in a barn to put the baby in a manger? Ladies, any men that have ever seen your wife give birth to a child? That is so profound. After we lost our first son, Jesse, all of our children were high-risk pregnancies. And there was intensity and stress in every one of their... Hannah, the cord was wrapped around her neck, but we didn't know it. And she was C-section. I knew. And I called Dr. Eisenhower and said, you have to come now and deliver this baby. We're not going through 40 hours of labor. You need to come here and get this baby out. And then we put the cord around her neck. And if you've already lost a child, there's so much fear in facing that. My wife was trembling. Leah was stuck in the birth canal in fetal distress. Timmy, and then Timmy had his challenges, and when Luke was born, my wife, well, she almost, she almost passed. It was very serious. It's no easy thing having a baby with the best doctors present in the best hospital. This is a teenager having a baby that God gave her, who is God, in a barn, in a manger. So this insignificant village in the middle of nowhere becomes the most profound place ever in human history. Because all the places you can call holy ground, and all of Israel is holy ground, this is the holy ground where God split time, space, and matter and came from eternity into time into the world. (laughs) Wow. Bethlehem. And now you go there, there's the tourist stuff, the busloads come all the time, and everyone gets off the bus, they go in the church of um, birth or whatever, I went there, you know, it's very, you know, shrines and incense and stuff. You can go to a lot of tourist places. It's still not a bad thing to go to Bethlehem and go to that tourist church. Because when I was there, I thought, he may not have been born in this building, but somewhere around here he was born. You know, somewhere around here, somewhere around here, give a radius of a mile or two, Jesus Christ came in the world. And somewhere around here, just outside of that, is where he was declared by the angels to the shepherds. It is holy ground. And so this insignificant city town is where he comes in the world, as God prophesied. So the miracle of a woman not having an the man is going to have a child. 
And that child is called Emmanuel, God with us. And then this little town that means nothing on anyone's radar, and even, not even in those who live in the territory of Judah, is where this Emmanuel is going to be born. And then to really throw a big curveball in the whole equation, these men from the east are going to come who are Gentiles, not Jews. Now, the scriptures were entrusted to the Jews, and the Messiah was promised to the Jews, and yet, for this part of the story, through Matthew's eyes, where he's proven that Jesus is the king of the Jews to the Jews, these Gentiles come from the east. They're not even Jews. And they're following a supernatural star that is leading them. And you know, when Paul preached to the Gentiles, he talked about the rain and the seasons and the earth. In fact, Romans 1 tells us that we're all accountable based upon nature and its order to a God of order. So wouldn't it make sense? Isn't it interesting that these guys from the East who did not know the scriptures, they simply saw a star that had not been there. They knew it had profound meaning and they followed that star. God called Gentiles to come see his son be born to the Jews. This is the gospel. The gospel of Matthew ends with, go make disciples of all nations and here right after proving that Jesus is a Jew of all Jews to be the king of the Jews, here's Gentiles coming to find him and worship him. The first people on record from this account are Gentiles worshiping Jesus. Now, we know from Luke's account, they're the shepherds who are Jewish. But even here, we see a glimpse of the gospel that the good news of Jesus is for everybody. He's not just the Messiah of Israel. He's the king of the universe, and he's the savior of the world. And God's bringing Gentiles just to prove it. And what a contrast that they make a rest stop, <laughs> road warrior again, a little rest stop exit to go see Herod, who really thinks he's the king. See this king? That's not your king. That's not my king. These kings, they come and go. These kings, they're in every generation. They flex, they threaten, they grab, they take. That's not my king. That's not my kingdom. So they go past this super king, educated in Rome, financed by Rome, Herod. And it's like, don't go back to that king. That's not my king. That's not me. This is my king, the child. That's my king. This is who you worship. That king hates my king. So forget that king. And I know you told him you'd come back and tell him where the child is. I'm a higher law, and I'm telling you, you don't go back and tell him where the child is. Because it's my universe. You do what I tell you to do. And you go back that way. You found what you're looking for. It's not this king in Jerusalem. It's this king in a manger in Bethlehem. And these kings, they come and go. But I prophesied to my king through Isaiah that my king would come through a virgin. And I prophesied that my king would be born in this village and come out of this village, and he has, and he is. Isn't that beautiful? Hey, God just, he catches the wise and own craftiness. Herod is like, oh, tell me when you find him, and I'll worship him too. It's like, really? Like, really? No. Kings who lust for power, they have to, they have to keep that power, and they have to come against anyone who they feel is a threat to that power. Not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is power. Jesus said when they took his, when they're going to take his life, he's, he, he said to the religious leaders when they condemned him to his death, he said, you won't see me again until you see me at the right hand of the power in glory. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. We're to be reminded of it when we pray every day the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. That's the perspective we need when we pass through Jerusalem on a rest stop going to see Jesus. And we have to see Herod first. So in this insignificant village with this insignificant couple comes the king of the universe, Jesus. And then, and, and God brings the Gentiles to him. And then the, the, the last thing we see here is in verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. God supernaturally led them to his son. And it says that when they had come to the house, they saw the child with Mary and they fell down and worshiped him. They worshiped him. And then we're told in verse 12, they did, that they should not return to Herod and they departed to their own country. This is the glorious gospel because Jesus draws people by the Holy, the Holy Spirit draws people to Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, we come to a place of brokenness, repentance, faith, forgiveness. And it is a, it is a flashpoint of great joy. What can be more joyful than having your sins forgiven? Of all the experiences that we can have in the human experience that bring us great joy, there's nothing quite like when you realize that our sins truly are forgiven. Because whom the sun sets free is free indeed. And when you know your sins are truly forgiven, we're like the harlot weeping at Jesus' feet and wiping his feet with her hair. I remember when I knew supernaturally my sins were forgiven, spring of 1987. And all those years being raised Catholic, trying to earn my forgiveness or feel like I have it and then lose it. But on the cross in John 19, where Jesus says, it is finished, the Holy Spirit said to me, I died for your sins and you must receive that. Never earn it. And I've never looked back. I have, I, have, I have no doubt that my sins are forgiven past, present, and future. And I'm signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. And I'm just long for the ride. And so are you. But the joy I had in my heart in spring of 87 when I knew that my sins were forgiven because I felt great guilt and remorse and weight over my sins. Great rejoicing. Incredible. And then to not have to fear death. I can honestly say, I, I don't fear death. I don't. Like, to be really courageous with the grave, that's something God supernaturally does for you. Like, Paul, if I live, I live, I die, I die. Like, we got things to do. Jesus conquered fear of the grave. He conquered the weight of sin. He conquered fear of the grave, fear of the grave, and he defeated Satan. So when you think about rejoicing, when we look at Jesus in the manger, we see Jesus on the cross and at the right hand of the Father, like Stephen when they're killing him in the book of Acts. Of course it's great joy. Forgiven of our sins, the soul, the very spirit, and the being of a man or a woman. To have Christ pay that price to be set free from the devil and his grip over our life and to have confidence to stare down the grave with the courage of the Savior himself. What we celebrate as the Church of Jesus Christ at Christmas is so much more than shopping at Walmart. They got a good commercial this year too. I'm like, that's a good commercial. Good job for them. But wouldn't it be sad if Christmas was limited to like Amazon delivering presents? And shopping at Walmart? Like if that's all it was, like Whoville 
wah, wah, you know what I'm saying? Like, what if that was all it was? Like, really, because that's what it is for a lot of people. No, Christmas is great joy and rejoicing because of the virgin giving birth to the Savior of the world, Emmanuel God with us in the insignificant village with Gentiles standing over him, praising God, rejoicing exceedingly with great joy, and worshiping him. And you know, they returned to their way. They, they, it says that they returned and departed to their own country. And that's an amazing thing because the shepherds, when it, they saw Jesus, it says they just went and went, telling everyone, you, you go on. You know, God gives us, this, he gave them this flashpoint where there it was. It was like all eternity before them. And then they returned and they lived their lives after seeing and worshiping Jesus. And that's who we are at the end of 2021, looking at 2022. Worship generation with the church of Jesus Christ. And everything about the church, our Savior, our life, our purpose is supernatural and divinely planned, purposed, and ordained. So let's just serve the Lord. Let's enjoy our Christmas. And let's all hail King Jesus from here to eternity. Amen. You've been listening to the Worship Generation Radio Ministry with Pastor Joey Brandt. If you would like more information about the ministry of Worship Generation, visit us online at www.worshipgeneration.com, where you can listen to the podcast of today's entire message. Worship Generation is located at 10350 Ellis Avenue in Fountain Valley, California. Our service times are Saturday evenings at 6 p.m. and Tuesdays at 7 p.m. And also follow Pastor Joey on Instagram under the tag name at Joey Brand. Thanks for listening and God bless. Not ashamed of the gospel. Not ashamed, not ashamed of the one I love. Not ashamed, not ashamed.